Welcome back to Esther's Breeze, where we sit back, chat, and shoot the breeze. Thank you all so much for your love and support. It's so appreciated. This, in fact, is my 11th interview and my 12th episode, so it's kind of a milestone-ish. I'd like to give out a big thank you to Jenny DeHaim from PAX Management and to my mentor and good friend, Robert D'Alessio, and my new producer and partner in crime, Mr. Fernando Renzo. I'd also like to let you know that Esther's Breeze in this particular episode is available on the Esther's Breeze YouTube channel and on Bobby Short Shorts YouTube channel and live on Facebook. So today's guest is Mr. Bobby Del Rio. Bobby Del Rio is an actor, writer, filmmaker, and producer. He wrote and directed the film The Market, which is now on Amazon Prime in the US and UK. In Canada, it's available on Vimo On Demand. He's the creator and showrunner of the series In Real Life, which started as a web series and sold to Bell Media for TV broadcast. He's also a reoccurring character on the hit web series My Roommates and Escort. He's perhaps best known as a playwright. Titles of his plays include The Market, Corn Life in 40 Years, Childhood, Christian Values, When Children Fall, Professionally Ethnic, and Half Chinks Taking Over the World. He's also a clubhouse rock star with 11.5, which I had to revise today, followers in only four months. He head moderates five rooms and he guest moderates in many, many rooms. He's a graduate of the University of Toronto, Sheraton College Theatre and Drama Studies program. He's also the founder president of Include, which is Canada's largest multicultural network in theater, film, and TV. Now, Bobby created this web ser series to um, the one that's called In Real Life to deal with online trolls. And I have this beautifully crafted one minute video that I'd like you to see. Online. Everyone is a brawler. In some ways, it enables the worst part of humanity. The narcissism, posturing, the bullying. But if you met them in real life, would they have that same bravado? I was mercilessly bullied online. Somebody started an I Hate Bobby Del Rio campaign on Facebook and became this vicious cycle of abuse that I kept going back to. Intellectually, I didn't believe it. But emotionally, I felt like nothing else existed. But then I thought, I'm not going to run away from this. I'm not going to hide. So I created a web series entitled In Real Life, including the perspective of the bully and the victim. And this deep, insidious emotionality that happens when you're vulnerable and when people exploit that. The source of pain manifests itself in the stories I continue to tell. That is so powerful. Let's bring on Bobby Del Rio. Hey. What up? I don't know. Here he is. Yeah, really. So, you know. Here he is. Finally. Finally, finally here. That is so, so powerful. Oh, my God. I know that we spoke earlier and you told me that, in fact, you did. This is all real. You did experience yeah. online bullying and the, the trolling that goes with it. And that's what inspired you to write that series. So you know what's funny? It's, it's actually gotten worse since then. Are you kidding? 
Yeah, yeah, because my profile is higher now. So I just get attacked every day. Every it's a, I think this is the metaphor for the industry, but this is how I feel. I wake up, you know, I yawn, I stand up, I get kicked in the balls, <laughs> and we start my day. Yes. There it is. Yeah. What are yeah. you gonna do? I don't know. I don't know. You know, you do so much. You're an actor, you're a writer, producer, director. There must be one of those titles that you feel most passionate about. You'd think, you think there would be. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, not. maybe i'm wrong yeah no i don't know i just kind of do what i want you know it's funny like this whole clubhouse thing is such a fucking blur because oh, don't it's, okay, it's, okay. it's such a blur because i don't really more, more you know, I, know. I just i don't do you know what i do i just talk and then people are like yeah he's talking follow him and now i have eleven thousand five hundred followers and i'm like yeah. okay i didn't have a plan i just talk i do rooms i just i don't know people are interested i guess so what inspired you to join Clubhouse in the first place? And why did you get so involved to the point that you, you have your own club called Bobby Del Rio? That's, you know, original, but to the yeah, point. Exactly. And you have about five major rooms. Yeah, There's I cut it down to four. Rooms. I was doing five, I'm doing like four now. But to be honest, I'm doing 75 rooms a week, so. Because you moderate on a lot of them as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm on all the biggest stages of Clubhouse. So what does that mean? On the biggest stages uh okay so i was you know i still am one of the top mods um in film right so all the film rooms um you know like general not obviously not every single one but the biggest ones i'm a i'm like a mainstay right you almost have to think of it they're almost like these like shows so i'm kind of like i don't know like a recurring character in all these different shows but it was just for film but in the last maybe two three weeks i've been focusing on just the biggest rooms generally, which usually are the business rooms or more general conversation. So now I'm becoming friends with most of those mods. So I get modded in those now too. So I, like literally every hour, I have my choice of four rooms. So I usually just go into the biggest one and I kind of just do that for a hundred hours a week. And that's what it is. So for those people who don't know, and I'm sorry, they can Google it, but if you'd like to explain a little bit what Clubhouse is, the app. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, it's funny, like in a way, I'm this sort of like spokesperson for Clubhouse because, like this, like like literally 17 interviews I've had set up in a month, um, and a lot of people don't really know what Clubhouse is, right? Because if you're not on it, it's still like a small percentage of the of the population that's on it. You don't really know what it is. So I'm always, it's like, when are they gonna start paying me? Clubhouse? When are you gonna start paying me, Clubhouse? <laughs> when are you gonna start paying me? So, so um, I just let everybody know Bobby met uh, Fernando uh, Renzo before the show, and he's just he's been on this Italian. I know, I know. It's, it's cool. We love it. Hey, Clubhouse, I'm going to promote you, buddy. <laughs> what are you going to do for me, Clubhouse? A hundred hours a week I put into you. But what are you going to do for me? So, um, I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now. Uh, Clubhouse, so Clubhouse is an audio-only platform. Yeah. It's basically like Facebook if all you could do is talk. Um, so you can post a, one photo. You can do like you have like a long bio whatever. But that's all it is. So it's really just talking. So I think because I'm a performer, right? And I have, you know, I've been doing improv since I was a child, right? So I'm very, very comfortable. Like, this is live. I'm like, oh, no, you know, I don't care, right? Like, it's like I'm, I'm very comfortable um, public speaking, performing, all this my whole life. So for, so for this platform, it's really just about, in a way, public speaking. Yeah, that's true. So I'll speak in, today. I, was, I spoke in two rooms that had over 500 people in them. Yeah, I was following you in one of them. 
Yeah, oriented room. Yeah, they got up to seven hundred. I don't know, whatever. I just and I don't care. I joke around. I'm very loose. A lot of people get very nervous, but I don't care because I'm a performer, right? I've been a professional actor since the '90s, so I don't care. I'll say whatever I want. Fucking eight hundred people, eight thousand people, it doesn't matter to me. And I think it separates me because a lot of people are kind of nervous, so they're kind of stiff. But for me, like I joke around, I say this. I'm more authentic. I'm just me. Yeah. And, um, so it comes off, I think, pretty well. I think 11,500 people think so. So how did that translate into Instagram, for instance? Because I know that it does affect Instagram and gives you organic followers. Like, how did that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, so basically, there's no DM function on Clubhouse. Yeah. So you just link, and it, I mean, whatever, I'm just saying to the audience, I know you know this, but um, so you have to link it to your Twitter, your Twitter and your Instagram. So you yeah. have your choice to link it to either or both. I link both. So Twitter, maybe I got an extra, I don't know, a couple hundred followers. But my Instagram, I don't know. What I always say is I'm funnier than I am good looking. So I never really cared about Instagram. You know what I mean? So I was like, in like five years, literally just get a thousand followers, which is like nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like nobody cares. And then in in three and a half, four months, whatever it is, I have gone from 1,000 followers that nobody cares about to close to 4,500 followers on Instagram. So it's boosted like 450%, which sounds like better than it is, but it's a lot, it's, but it's real there. I don't buy followers. I think oh, I know that I went from getting like Esther three messages a week. Oh, hello, Bobby. Hi, man. You know, to, to 300. Oh, I believe it. 500. I can't even keep track every, it feels like every minute probably isn't every minute. It feels like it. I just get a new message, a new message, a new message, a new message. I, I'm just like, and then people want to talk to me all the time. Oh, let's talk. It's like, I, I don't have time to talk to you. I got to talk to Esther. <laughs> That's really, let's priority straight, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, but you're like instantaneous. Like if I sent you a message, you were like, like three seconds later, you answer. So you're, yeah. you're there, you're very available. And that yeah. makes a difference as well. And I usually ask artists this, like, the importance of social media. What do you think is the importance of social media is as an artist? Oh, wow. Okay. So we mean like in society or do we mean for like an artist? For an artist, for your career, for, okay. yeah. Got it. Okay. So hmm. look, you don't need social media to be an artist because an artist just makes art, right? So you don't need to, you can just perform in things or write things or direct things or draw things, whatever it is you do, make music. You don't need social media to be an artist, but I will say in the business of art, uh, you really do need social media. It's the number one marketing tool. To be honest, there's a bit of a debate. I had I had put together a, a clubhouse room and it was like, so I, had, I became friends with Tori Spelling um, no on clubhouse. So like literally like I'm texting Tori Spelling. I'm like, what's happening? Like I, you know, I grew up, with 90210. She's awesome, by the way. I love her as well. Okay, so I brought Tori on this panel, and then I brought on, like, a ton of, like, you know, whatever, YouTubers, TikTokers, people with millions of whatevers. Um, and so I had basically had, like, a debate, but a friendly debate. I was trying to figure out, like, okay, so what is the role of uh, social media influencers on Hollywood? I will say I'm, I'm a bit older. I am 43 um, and so Tori and I sort of agreed because we're more like inculcated into the mainstream, you know, Hollywood and film culture. I'm repped in Hollywood as well as Toronto. Um, there's a couple of managers who, who want to work with me as well in Los Angeles. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what, what I want my team to be. Um, but for the most part, like 
people don't really care so much if you're an established talent when it comes to like your social media following. But I do think for emerging talent, unestablished talent, um, you know, they're, they are looking at like the top influencers, right? The people with the most, you know, followers on TikTok or Instagram or you, and I think they are giving them chances. I do think most of them fail quite frankly, because it's a very different thing. I'm a Shakespeare trained actor, right? So it's very, very different to like perform in legitimate film and television than it is to perform on your phone or whatever. Um, they are different art forms. I just think it is hard to go from, let's call it a more informal art form to more established mainstream film and television. So most influencers I know are not able to secure legitimate management, hmm. uh, but some can. So I think it's, I think it's going to bleed together, but I think, I think social media is going to be one of, is going to be, has served two main functions for professional artists. Number one, it's going to be a recruiting tool for the next generation. Uh, and number two, which I think is going to be more useful in the professional world. It's, it's a marketing arm for the artist and the projects associated with said artist. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. No, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, and getting back to Clubhouse, one of my favorite rooms that you moderate is the, um, where is it? Uh, little. But film it's the one TV. where uh, you say that um, film people getting shit done. And, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, I'm so, I'm so sorry. My virgin ears. Oh, offer change your life, that's. <laughs> Come on, be nice. So that, yeah. that is one of my favorite rooms that you moderate. So, so tell you. me about you, how you came up with that idea and, and do you know any stories of how it changed people's lives? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so the room's called Film and TV People Who Get Shit Done. Yeah. Um, I do it every Friday. So I'm doing it tomorrow at uh, 12 p.m. Eastern. I always, it's funny, because now every time I say things, I have to say 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 right. p.m. Eastern, because a lot of the people who follow me are in Los Angeles. Right. They're on the West Coast, because Hollywood, right? Um, but yeah, no. So, you know, what's funny is that I, I, it was random. Like when I first was on the platform, I was experimenting as I created rooms, it was a pop-up. So that means I literally was like, Oh, I don't know. I'll write this. And I wrote film TV, people get shit done. And then it was, I don't know what time it was, it was maybe probably around the same time around noon on a Friday. And I just can't, I used to just start a room, call it a new title, see what happens. And that room ended up going for 10 and a half hours. Wow. Okay. And I got, 900 additional followers in one day in one room okay it's people maybe it doesn't sound like a lot but you have to understand clubhouse is, is a different platform right there's people who i've been there for four months now a bit under there's people who've been there for four months and don't have 900 followers in four months no no it's an incredible amount i have 806 i think yeah okay so i got more followers than you have total in one day that's in one room now I've never, that's never happened to me again. Usually I average about hundred to 150 extra followers a day. Um, but that was crazy, but it was just, it was just so popular. People liked the title and then on the fly, cause it, basically what happened, there's so many people who joined this thing because they liked the title. And then I ended up coming up with a format, which was really just pragmatic. There were so many people who wanted to talk. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're not allowed to promote because people would talk for five minutes and then make a comment for one minute. And there was like hundreds of like thousands and thousands of people were part of this room. We went for 10 and a half hours. Okay. So I was like, okay, so no, all you're going to do is offer. 
So you're just going to bring something to the table, but you're not allowed to promote yourself. And then, you know, and I had a couple of friends who kind of helped out and then it ended up being really interesting, you know, and then it turned into this, by the end, a very like loving, generous space because you're yeah. only allowed to give, you're not allowed to take. Yeah. And so since then, it's become one of the most popular film rooms on Clubhouse because, and I've, you know, obviously I've become more complex in my thinking about it. Um, but it's about the generosity of spirit, right? So what I like to say is we are not an industry. We are a community. It's about giving. So I don't allow people to promote. Yeah. You just give. And some sometimes the offer is very simple. Some people are like, I'm here to listen to anybody who needs it, right? I've heard that. I've, I've sat in that room for hours. I have heard that. And in fact, on a, a full disclosure, there was one woman who offered to speak to anyone who had a child or who was, um, you know, on the spectrum of autism. So yes. I actually hooked her up with my son who has neurodiversity. Oh, so I did that. Yeah, he's a singer songwriter. And so we have, every once in a while they chat and yeah, that's like nice. to your room. So thank you for that. And that's why I that's asked you nice. about that. Like, because in fact it did, I mean, my son has a new friend and she's, she's wonderful. She's an actress from the UK. Thank you. Yeah. Look, I, mean, I didn't know that. That's wow. Real time. <laughs> no, but you know, so I guess, especially because now I'm pretty popular on the app. So I have a responsibility, I think, you know what I mean? Like I try to like help people. All my rooms are about building community or helping people, right? So my rooms are supporting women. My rooms are supporting yeah. people of color. My rooms are supporting LGBTQ. My rooms are about giving. Um, I don't know. It sounds hokey. Maybe I'm trying to create more of a culture of love. So what I say is that, you know, our industry, we're so used to selling and pitching and manipulating yeah. and it's like none, no more of this. Now it's about giving, helping, sharing. Um, yeah. And I think to be honest, I happened because during the pandemic, the reason I went to clubhouse too, is that I was so sick of the toxicity on Facebook. I've been like a heavy, heavy Facebook user, like since its inception, which is, I, I don't know how long ago, 15 years ago or something. Yeah, about that. But it's just during the pandemic, everybody was just, was just disgusting to each other to the point where I started making positive posts to just get people to stop being so disgusting. And then people start liking the positivity. Like literally I get messages every day. People are like, you are, you are, you, I'm getting through the pandemic because of you. Yes. Yeah. Which was like shocking to, because all I say, I would just literally write like, you're beautiful. And like, it would be kind of funny, but it would, but because everybody was so negative, because I was just so positive on purpose, I don't know, like warm people's spirits or something. So then I realized, especially during the pandemic, how badly, quite frankly, love was needed. So that's what the room is about. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a wonderful room. And I know you do others like Italians in Hollywood, Men Supporting Women in Film, Stop Asian Hate. And, and many, many more. So no, you're making a difference. And I'm glad I told you that story about this this young lady from the UK who, who chats every now and then with my son. It's made a difference. Yeah, no, it does. Look, cause it's like, I, I know you now. And I was like, oh fuck, like that really made a difference. You know, that's nice. A little bit. I mean, I'm not gonna change the world, but it, it's like these little kindnesses. I do think that they add up to a better world over time, so. Yeah, and you and I spoke earlier also about the fact of I don't think people realize the, you know, how incredible the networking is on this app. 
and I spoke to you about this before, like I try to tell people, listen, you've got, you've got to get on, you've got to yeah, spend some time, you, you've got to go to different rooms, you've, try, you've got to get on what, you know, their virtual stage, so to speak, and talk and, you know, and even to moderate because it does, I mean, for yourself, how did it change your life in terms of your career? Okay, well, I'm in Toronto, Canada, right? Right. Now I'm represented in Hollywood, right? I was offered a two-picture deal as a screenwriter from a Hollywood producer. Wow. I've had maybe 15 to 20 collaborations offered to me. Um, I have two managers that want to work with me. I have one of the top people on the app wants to create a television series with me. I've had several offers to create a television series or a feature film. I just got uh, the male lead in a project shooting in August. Wow. In Canada or the U.S.? Uh, in Canada, okay. uh, but it's but it's like the U.S. influence, uh, in, like it's just like every, it's all part of the same ecosystem, right? Right, right. I, yesterday, I had a meeting with a guy. I just oh, he seems nice, and he had introduced me to a former head of a studio, and it turns out he's a multimillionaire. And then we're supposed to have another meeting where he's going to introduce me to billionaires and help work on a pro. Like you can't even imagine. Like I now know many many studio execs top film producers in the world. I also run a, a room called International Film Financing. Right, yes, you do. And I, I, probably have, I probably have met three to 500 established producers in Hollywood and around the world because of that room, because I do it every week for four months. So, and then I was invited to be a guest speaker uh, speaking about international film financing at a film festival in the Caribbean on the weekend. And it's just every day I get offered a new opportunity, whether it's an interview or a job, and these jobs are not like, like, hey, can you mow my lawn? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, maybe we can make a television series together, right? This oh, I should introduce you to my millionaire friend. Right. I should introduce you to my billionaire friend. Like, this is what's happening. Yeah, I know. We spoke about that, and I've heard this from others as well. This is all authentic. People say, oh, no, those it's people very real. are real. They're, they're, you know, they're scammers. No, it's very real. Oh, Bobby Short starts. Wow, I'm really impressed. This is amazing. And he's one of the people I've been telling to get onto Clubhouse. Bobby. Bobby. Through the name Justice. Go to Clubhouse. <laughs> Please. Please, Bobby. From one Bobby to another Bobby. That's very funny. So hey, a little bit. Hey, Paisano, do you speak any Italian? Hey, <laughs> he doesn't. You don't. You don't. I, swear, I, used to, I know all the swear words, but. That's that's all you need to know. Don't worry about right? it. You're good. That's I'll all help you in life. So talking oh, about yeah. filmmaking, you did um, produce a feature length film. It's actually available, like I said earlier, on Amazon Prime in the UK and the US. And yeah. so it's on Vimeo. Vimeo on demand Vimeo. in Canada. Yes, that's on demand. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to play a little trailer so that the Go folks can see. Yeah, yeah, it looks like an amazing film. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time! We walk up to the ring, fight. the most vicious, fight. the most violent, fight. fighter we've fight. seen in a long fight. time! Fight! He is your man! Fight! Fight! Let's fight! 
Let's fight! Let's fight! Let's get down to the nitty gritty! Let's fight! Let's fight! Let's get down to the nitty gritty! Let's fight! Let's fight! Come on, motherfuckers, let's, let's step, step in the, the ring! Go up against a train, man! Let's see what you can bring! This is true or strong, that's the way it's gonna be! Yeah, that looks incredible. Fernando saw it earlier. He goes, oh, "Esther, we have to, we have to watch this film after." <laughs> yeah, you the, the language is very, very horrific. Just so you know. Oh, really? Okay, good warning. Okay. I warn people because some people freak out. Freak out. Also, like, uh, like obviously that was pixelated for the the podcast, but it's it's pretty high quality when we actually have the movie. So, yeah. what inspired you to to? Because you wrote it. I think originally it was a play. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I wrote and directed it. So it was a play I wrote in 2009 as a response to the subprime mortgage crisis. Right. Um, it's basically, a, it was sort of like a conspiracy theory about uh, the subprime mortgage crisis. So it's like a gangster movie about Wall Street. It's like these four guys who crashed the market on purpose uh, to make $12 billion. Um, but it was it's more like sort of like an elevated Wall Street. Because Wall Street films are almost a genre. Yeah, but I've elevated it. So the way I would sell it's sort of like Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross with guns. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you go from making a, a for, um, you know, live theater to making it to a film and then getting it distributed? Like, how does that work? Ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, OK, so I did it in 2010. OK. In an office at Jarvis and Adelaide, right downtown Toronto. Okay. Uh, and it was like, um, we didn't get that much press, but it was the best response of my career. Like, I literally had people stopping me in the street being like, I said, your play is the best place, you know, you're, I emailed every single person my address book, told them to watch it. I'd be like, all right. Then they would take their iPhone and show me. I was like, oh, you did. Okay. And then we, so we sold out pretty much every show. I had some of the best playwrights in Canada tell me it was the, one of the best plays I'd seen. In years, I had some people tell me it was the best play they'd seen in their lives. And I had 50 to 100 people say this has to be a movie. Because I didn't, I had no intention to be a screenwriter. At that time, I was like, I don't care about films. I'm a playwright. Right. I was really inculcated into the playwright world. But then it came from the audience. So I was like, okay, maybe it could be a movie. I had no idea how to do that. And then... um you know, it took years and I decided that I would just figure out how to do it. And I raised a little bit of money on Indiegogo with the help of the cast. We oh, raised okay. $5,500. Yeah. So I ended up making the movie for $12,000. Not a lot of money. Not at all. But it ended up turning out pretty well. Now, it did. We, we played a festival in India. Okay. We toured some cities in India. We were in Italy where apparently they hated it. I was like, all right, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> Why would they hate it? Well, <laughs> I probably, well, whatever, who cares? It's years ago. Apparently, yeah. the guy who programmed it didn't watch it. And my movie is, is also a, like sort of a sub theme is it's about toxic masculinity. Okay. Although that that term didn't really exist when I created it. So I, I would refer to it as raw male aggression. But to these days, there's a name for that. It's called toxic masculinity. Yeah. And it's very well researched. Okay. So the movies, I read books and documentaries and articles and magazines, you name it. And this is how these guys actually talk, right? They're very, very sexist, very, very racist, very, very homophobic. So what I did is I turned the movie um, 
into a, an allegory for capitalism. So it's like a metaphor. So the way the guys treat each other and the way they treat everyone is an extension of the way um, the system of money sort of dictates disgusting attitudes around the world. Yeah, exactly. People, most people who are quite thoughtful and intellectual understand that element. Yeah. Some people don't. Like some people, it's funny because some people will be like, makes me want to be a bond trader. Woo! And I was like, you didn't, you didn't understand the symbolic elements of the, it looks awesome. I'm like, okay. okay. I mean, look, some people like that because it's very like, you know, sort of like a thrill ride. Like we've had a lot of really good testimonials and it's, it's a very sort of captivating movie. But it, you know, you need to understand that it's an allegory. If you, because so yeah. some people have accused me of being racist or sexist. Or, I was like, really, you can't differentiate between a character and a point of view about a subculture. But what are you going to do? Some people are stupid. <laughs> I said it. Yeah, I know right. you said it. You did not put yourself in the film. You did not no, cast no. yourself. No. Why? You know, it's funny. Even the cast is like, "Why did you? Why didn't you? Were you in the film?" But I guess for me, because I know I never made a film. I never even made a short film. I had made a short film. No, never. Nothing. Nothing. So now, since then, I think I've directed a, like ten to fifteen short films. Um, and I did. I directed every episode of IRL, right? The web series I created. Yeah, yeah. I actually watched a few episodes of it years ago, before I even yeah. knew you existed. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, but I all came after. So I had never made. I had directed one thing on mini DV in my early twenties, which was really co-directed by my brother Tony, who's who's like more like the filmmaker in the family. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so he was a DOP, and he actually edited my feature film, The Market. He did a very good job, actually. Um, but I had never directed, so The Market was actually my first time ever directing a film. Wow, and, well done. Yeah, so my, my DOP, Andrew Hunter, he was he was very young at the time, but he was brilliant. He knew everything technically. He was so talented. I learned a lot from him. A lot of the cinematography, obviously, uh, was him. A lot of the shots are him. But one thing I was good at is that um, I know the story very, very well because I wrote it. And I I know acting really well because I'm a professional actor. At this now it's like literally, I've been paid to act for 27 years, right? So My goodness. So I, I picked good actors, um, you know, the two, Julian Desadi and Kyle McDonald were from the, the were from our play. They were in the original production. So I knew like they're going to smoke it. And then I had to recast two supporting roles because the other guys that who were in the play had left the industry. So I had to get new people, um, you know, and I, I just, I rehearsed it like a play, which I don't think too many people do in film. But that was my background, right? At that point, right. I had directed, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 plays when I made that feature film. So I actually had had a lot of experience making um, art, but never a movie. So to be honest, it wasn't so hard because Andrew really managed the production logistics uh, in terms of cinematography. And I and, and what I, in a way, it was accidental. But what I've learned is the main skill of a director is to work with the actors and to interpret the story. So yeah. in a way it was perfect because he, my DOP, Andrew was really kind of like, I think it should look like this. And I would be like, Oh, okay. Maybe I would have a slight adjustment, but I trusted him. And then I was focusing on the storytelling. So in the industry, you refer to that basically as an actor's director. Yes. 
Um, and that I'm definitely an actor's director, right? So there was one pivotal scene in the movie where one of the actors was not quite at the level that I wanted to be. I ran 45 minutes of uh, acting exercises on set. Wow. During, like, yeah, it was like an 18 hour day. But his performance went from flat to one of the best performances and scenes in the movie. But I was like, I put 45 minutes of Meisner into like guiding him, guiding him, guide. And it's like, we would do scenes and the actors are all good, but they get tired, but I'm an actor. So I know the energy needed. Exactly. So I'd be like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, bring this energy, bring this energy because they need it to be elevated yeah. in some scenes. And I know how it has to feel as a performer. And so there's like, I'm literally like screaming, 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 screaming. They finally get there. And I'm like action. And then it would go in. So, I get the performances energy. that I want to get, right? Yeah. I actually have a little video about uh, the behind the scenes and some of the actors talk about the film and, and working with it. It's about using money as a weapon. These four guys who pretty much take the world on and win. Uh, so it was like uh, Wall Street meets Entourage meets a mob movie, which was really, really neat. Loss of innocence, corruption. I think it's also a coming of age film. The power dynamics between men. To me, they represent kind of uh, what goes around comes around. The script is basically uh, a metaphor for capitalism. This, you know, deplorable cesspool of, of money. <laughs> it just represents a good time. Like it's a pretty fun movie. It's an awesome movie. It's refreshing how raw it is. It's high. I think it represents the the highest stakes. Someone could you found some clips. You like planned it all. You know, oh, I even had more clips. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm what a pro you are. Right? Talking yeah. about. So, I know that we spoke the other day about a major publication in Toronto featuring yeah, you in the yeah. magazine. So you feel, in a sense, that you've arrived. I mean, this is oh, you know, all the things that are happening to you. Not really. I don't know. I mean, I've been in the industry. 25 years or whatever. I, I don't know. I guess, look, I'm excited. I mean, it's, I've never had, can you imagine 17 interview requests in a month? I, 17. I know. And you keep, and what, what I love about you is that you put it out there. You're so authentic and what real. And, and it's like, you talk about your follower count. You talk about how many interviews you're like a kid yeah. in the candy store. You're like, you're so excited. Oh and yeah. It comes across. And I, I love that. And that's but what at I the same time, like, look, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not up my own ass either though. Right. Like I put it this way, I started my career with a 30 minute television documentary about me. Okay, so can you imagine? Why? That's how I started my career. How so did I that was, come in fruition? Like how did that come I out? just, look, I, look, they needed a playwright. I knew the thing, they liked me. They they just picked, I had a play. I did it at Summerworks in 2000. That was a big hit. I'd won in a playwriting award at the University of Toronto Drama yeah. Festival. It just, everything just works out. You know, you know somebody and they like your thing and they watch your play. It's just, this is the, this is the industry, right? But I literally had a camera crew following me around while I was in university. Oh my goodness. I suppose it's not a normal thing. I was like the Kim Kardashian of Toronto Playwrights. <laughs> before it was a thing. Yeah, before reality shows existed. Right. So it was a very weird, th and it's not a normal thing. But I will say, I never, I never was like, oh, I deserve this. Here I am. I mean, I'm sure I had moments, but it was just very weird. I, did, I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is, right? But, uh, um, but okay. I will say, number, number four, it's okay. Yeah. Oh my god. But I started my career, like, this sort of like highly publicized playwright, 
So I was on the cover of Now Magazine with our director. Wow. So like literally, and I like right out of school, right? So it was like when they were doing our photo shoot for the cover of Now, I had the television camera crew filming the photographer, shooting me. I was just like, what is happening right now? <laughs> so, okay, but here's, here's the point of it, right? So all, right. I, that's how I started my career, okay? That's and how old were you? Uh, well, okay, so I guess it started when I was 22, and then it aired when I was 23. That's crazy. Yeah, so it was pretty young. I'm 43 now. It's 20 years ago. Okay, but I will say what I thought is that, okay, I'm famous now. Right? <laughs> Kind of like world famous, but I was like, oh, I'm a little bit famous, you know? And, um, and then I was like, okay, I'll just go around and I'll be famous. But that's not what happens. I didn't know that. Because I was new to the industry, and I started my industry with like almost too much publicity. Luckily, it happened at a, at a young age, and I was university educated, so it's not like I was 15 years old, right? Right. But then what happened is that it went away, right? So I just so I remember it was like the next summer, somebody else was on the cover of Now, hmm. and I was like, "But don't don't I remember when I, I was? Hey guys." So, <laughs> And I remember like I had been invited to the Now Magazine Christmas party the year that I was on the cover with the director, right? And I was like, okay, I'm gonna get invited every year. And then the next year, I remember my friend was like, um, oh, the Now Magazine Christmas party was great this year. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Was that, that was tonight? <laughs> like I had no idea. And then I was, and it wasn't personal or anything. Like, like that publication has been great to me over the years, but it's a project-based industry, right? So you have to understand that when you're in the spotlight, you get the spotlight, but the spotlight goes away. And so this is just what it is. So it goes up and down, up and down, up and down your whole career. So now obviously I'm at an up all these interviews and this thing and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's very exciting, but I know that it will go back down because it goes up and down for everybody. Yeah, that's not personal. True. Yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be a new platform, or they're gonna get sick of my face. How could you get your voice? Yeah, or my no. Yeah, it's funny. You might get sick of my voice, or who knows? Anything could happen, right? So, I'm enjoying it. I'm very excited, but also I know all good things come to an end. So that's why I'm I'm just setting up my relationships. I'm setting up projects for the future. I have a lot of projects that will happen. Um, and then you just time it out. This is what it is. So I don't really get too excited. I don't really get too crestfallen. I kind of just ride out the waves. Yeah, it's the best way to do it. And I know there was a second documentary about you as well. Is that correct? Yeah, well, that was the CBC, the one that you showed. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's actually Karina Evans, who's, uh, I think she directed some like four music videos for Drake. She's like a major director in the world now. And yeah, but this is just what it is. I mean, you know, I'm kind of just used to, like I've been interviewed over 350 times. Yes, I saw that in your bio. I love that you do that. So you put it all out there. You know, and it's not that you're bragging. You're just like being very matter of fact. You're just like, yeah, I've been in, and you That's even say something like, oh yeah, and about a hundred of them were podcasts. And oh yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's not a I don't thing. really care. It's just what it is. It's like people like, I'm also half Chinese, half Italian. Yes, in yes, interview, yes. It's a times. very strange mix. Am I wrong? Is that have you come across other people? With it's that normal thing? to me. I don't it's know. Of course, it's normal to you. But everyone is like, "Oh, wow, how unusual!" I'm like, "Oh, okay, you know." 
Yeah. It's funny, so, like I, I wanted to, I wanted to have a, an anthology of my plays called a stereotypical Chinese Italian. Like um, that's the thing. Yeah, but it's like you know, to me, that's what normal is. Yeah, of course. Right. So it's it's everyone else in the world that screwed up. I'm the normal one. Were you brought up in Toronto? I was. Yeah. I we lived in the Bahamas for four years when I was like a baby. Okay. And then my dad went to law school Western, so we were in London, Ontario for three years. Moved back to Toronto in grade four, so it was nine. So I've been in Toronto for thirty-five years. Although now I am planning to move to Los Angeles. Oh, you are okay. Well, my whole team is in LA now. All my projects are being set up in LA. It's like it's now at the point where me not being Los Angeles is actually impeding the progress of my slate of projects. Right. But we're just, you know, we're still in lockdown, Toronto. Yeah, you so, are. Yeah, it's pretty bad there. We're actually getting um, our curfew lifted tomorrow. So we're all right. very excited. Everybody's booking terraces. The restaurants aren't open because Montreal mm -hmm. is still going to remain. We, we have uh, our zones are in colors. I think yours are different. Like the faces are. I don't know what they're doing. The rules change every week in Toronto. I don't know what the hell's going on. Right. Yeah. No, I understand. Well, hopefully yeah. this will be over soon. And, and I, I was curious on how the process is for someone like yourself to move to LA. Like what, what, what do you have to do legally? How it's a lot. I mean, okay. So I, I have been working with an immigration lawyer. I mean, look, luckily I have been interviewed so much and also this latest slate of press will help as well. Yeah. You essentially have to like, I can apply for an O-1 visa or a green card. Yeah. Um, I probably have enough of a resume to, to get either. The green card is more risky because, you know, it's it's a really more of a long-term commitment to the United States. So they're a little more – actually, again, I don't know. This is just what I'm being told. But I just hear it's a lot more um, – they're a lot more – what's the word? Discerning. Where the visa, the the O1 visa should be very easy, and my agency is going to sponsor me, and I have everything set up that way. But it's it's not as good because it's a shorter amount of time, and you're limited to like a couple different areas. So mm -hmm. you have it's quite a long process where you have to like petition the U.S. government to show, look at me, I'm amazing. Here's this article and this article and this documentary, and I did this and this and this letter. Like it's I basically have to like prove to the U.S. government that um, I'm worthy of being an extraordinary citizen. Yeah, I understand. So, yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck and um, thank you. And much success. Your star is rising. You've been an absolute pleasure to speak to. And I'm going to yeah. ask you to stick around for two minutes. Sure. Yeah, I'm just going to say goodbye to everyone there All right. who's watching. Thank you so much. We had a great time, and we will see you next week at 8 o'clock on Esther's Breeze. Ciao for now. All right. Thank you so much, Bobby, once again. And we will see you next week, like I said earlier, at 8 p.m. on Esther's Breeze. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye-bye now.